Good morning from a rainy Washington, D.C., where police are expecting a continued weekend of increased protest activity as activists from all over the United States and the world continue to press their elected governments for a change in the way policing is conducted and an end to systemic racial discrimination. My name is Paul Kincaid. I'm the director of congressional outreach here at FMC, and we'd like to welcome you to another Thursday virtual roundtable. This is our 15th virtual roundtable, and we're happy to have all of you listening today. If you've missed any of our previous calls, you can simply visit our website, www.usafmc.org sounds, and you can listen to older calls or subscribe to the virtual roundtable as a podcast. Today, we wanna to make this an interactive discussion. So if you have any questions, simply click on the Q&A button at the bottom of your Zoom screen anytime during the call, fill out the information. And if we choose your question, we'll bring you on the call, audio only, no video, and you can ask the question of our panelists. Again, click the Q&A button at the bottom of the screen and don't worry, it's audio only. When the COVID-19 pandemic began, air travel immediately ground to a near halt. Several countries fully locked down international air travel, attempting to ensure the virus did not spread from other nations. In April, America experienced a nadir in travel as only 87,000 people passed through two TSA checkpoints at our nation's airport at our lowest day down from 2.6 million on the same day in 2019. Now, air travel is beginning to shake off the cobwebs. On Monday, more than 200,000 Americans took to the air, an increase of nearly 400% from that low point. However, the CDC is still recommending that Americans travel only for essential reasons and that they continue social distancing. Across the world, countries who are slightly ahead of the US in reopening their economies have still seen slow recoveries in the airline sector. More ominous are the bottom lines of those airline industries across the world. Serious questions are being asked about the economic realities of a socially distant flight and the possibility for profitability. Today, we hope you'll learn more about the world's return to passenger flight, what it means for travelers, for airlines, and for the government regulators who need to weigh protecting both of them from sickness, whether physical or economic. We have a great panel for our discussion today. David Short is the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Transportation for Aviation and International Affairs at the United States Department of Transportation. He's responsible for implementing economic and communication pol or com competition policy in the aviation and international transportation sectors. He also represents the United States government on the National Advisory Committee on Travel and Tourism Infrastructure and the department's Advisory Committee on Human Trafficking. Before joining the administration, Mr. Short served as senior counsel for FedEx Express based in Washington, DC. Frank Nave is the Vice President of Sales in the Americas for Lufthansa Group. After attending Lufthansa's International Airline Professional Program, a training initiative designed to prepare young executives, Frank rose to the position of General Manager of Jade Cargo International, a Chinese joint venture of Lufthansa Cargo, and in 2014 became Vice President of Digitalization. Frank was appointed Vice President of the Asia Pacific in 2015 and two years later, was named Vice President of the South and Southeast Asia Region and Vice President of Region for Northern Asia. Congressman Jeff Denham will be our moderator for this discussion. Congressman Denham served California in Congress from 2011 to 2019. He was California's leading voice for fiscal responsibility and debt reduction. During his time in Congress, Congressman Denham served on the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, the Veterans Affairs Committee, and the Agriculture Committee. He's worked with FMC on several programs concerning transportation, and we welcome his experience to lead the discussion today. Congressman, the floor is yours. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you for uh, uh, taking the invitation for FMC's virtual roundtable. Uh, let me just start right off with questions. The, the biggest question I think for the American public right now is, what are the airlines doing to uh, keep passengers safe as they fly? 
Well, sure. Thank you for the invitation. I'm delighted to be with all of you uh, this morning, and thank you, Congressman, for agreeing to moderate. So airlines are taking many actions to minimize the health risk of flying. Airlines have implemented a variety of methods for passenger safety, such as mandatory face coverings, keeping some seats empty, social distancing, enhanced sanitation, and booking flexibility. A number of US carriers, at least, if the load factor is above a certain level, they will blast a notice to passengers and give them the option. If they don't want to travel on such a crowded flight, they'll let them defer their travel to another flight that has uh, a lower load factor at no extra cost. So these are, these are some of the examples of the many things that US airlines are doing at uh, the present time to keep passengers safe. And I can add from, uh, first of all, good morning, everybody. And uh, thank you also from my side for the, uh, for the invitation. Um, many of the uh, uh, activities mentioned by, uh, uh, by Mr. Short are also uh, um, activities taken on by, by, by the Lufthansa Group. Um, I think it's one of the main goals that we have uh, is to, uh, to create confidence that uh, air travel is, is safe. Uh, so, uh, you know, apart from the, um, you know, the social distancing measures in, in the travel, um, uh, in the travel uh, experience uh, for, our, for our passengers, um, extra cleaning of, of the aircraft. Um, I think one thing that should be mentioned is uh, generally airplanes have uh, very, very uh, efficient air filters on board, uh, the so-called HEPA uh, filters, uh, which circulate the air every two or three minutes. Uh, so we believe that combined also with, with uh, facial covering uh, coverages, uh, which are now mandatory also on Lufthansa Group flights, uh, we've changed the, uh, um, the, the carriage requirements or our, um, our, our conditions of carriage uh, so there's a whole a lot of uh, a lot of measures being taken, and at the end of the day, they should then create confidence uh, that it is safe to travel, and uh, and also then uh, lead to a recovery in uh, in the airline industry. Thank you. And, and how about from a government perspective, both national and international uh, governments? What are they doing to uh, create a smooth transition back to flight? Uh, David, why don't you start with uh, U.S. government and and let us know what type of interaction you're also having uh, with other countries as, uh, as flights start moving internationally. Absolutely, so the US Department of Transportation is engaged in a range of important initiatives. Uh, first, let me mention, we have been actively participating in the International Civil Aviation Organization, the ICAO Task Force, it's called the CART, the Council Aviation Recovery Task Force. And our deputy FAA administrator, Dan Elwell, was the U.S. representative to this group. It's, uh, I will say, I've been involved with ICAO for a couple of decades now, actually maybe a little longer than that, but uh, let's just leave it at a couple of decades. And I've never seen ICAO uh, respond as quickly as they have. They stood up this task force, I think it was around the maybe late April, beginning of May, and by June 1st, the task force delivered its report to the ICAO Council, and it was adopted by the Council that day. So this is an incredible accomplishment. Kudos to ICAO for doing that, and it was with the active participation of DOT through the Federal Aviation Administration, and in particular, our Deputy Administrator. Uh, also, DOT is co-chairing an interagency working group, which will essentially translate that CART report into operational guidance for U.S participants for U.S. airlines and airports. Um, we have also chaired the transportation discussion group of the G7, 
which is close to completing work on high-level principles to support the restart of international aviation. And the hope is we, we achieve consensus among the G7 countries. Germany, Lufthansa's home is, of course, included among that, as well as the European Union uh, is a participant in that. The hope is by bringing together the G7 countries reaching consensus, we can have a good framework that will serve as a building block to roll out to other countries, maybe next to G20, after that to other countries around the world, because aviation is, of course, a network business. So it doesn't work to have doing something you really need it to be accepted globally. Um, in addition to that, at the of the private sector International Air Transport Association, IATA, uh, the US through DOT is participating with about 20 other governments of leading aviation nations to develop a consensus on consistent measures to support the industry as it gets back to business. And let me just uh, complete my answer by saying DOT is engaging bilaterally with many of our foreign counterparts to ensure that we do not stray from our international obligations as we implement COVID response measures. The United States, for example, is very proud, I'm very proud of my country, that we never uh, fail to honor our obligations under our network of aviation agreements. We may have adopted various measures under our immigration laws, under the section, what, section 212F of the Immigration and Nationality Act to restrict who can come in to the country, but we never limited foreign carriers or US carriers for that matter from operating as many flights as our network of aviation agreement allows. That's something we're very proud of. And we expect our partners around the world to likewise honor the obligations that have been agreed through negotiations. Thank you, David Frank. Yeah, no, I, I, how are we doing on a smooth transition? <laughs> well, first of all, I, I think, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the close working relation between the government bodies and, and the industry is extremely important. And I, I can only applaud and, and thank the DOT for their leadership here, uh, not just in terms of looking at the, at the domestic issues in the U.S., which are obviously very important, uh, but also in coordinating with the various international bodies. I, I think from an airline perspective, that's extremely important that we have as many standards as possible over the various countries. Uh, the more fragmented the approaches of the various governments worldwide, the more complicated it becomes. And, and I think that the slower the recovery in the aviation sector will be. So, you know, we're very, very grateful for, for all of the efforts of, uh, of, uh, of the government uh, agencies, but also all of our system partners uh, in, in setting up these restart and recovery programs. Uh, that are uh, extremely uh, important. I think from a Lufthansa group point of view, and, and I'm, I'm sure that view is shared by, by many of our, of our uh, friendly competitors, uh, we're in the restart phase uh, now after ramping down our operations over the last um, weeks and months. Uh, so just to give you a number, we were down to 1% of our overall production, which is, has which is, uh, never been seen before. It's an absolute unprecedented crisis uh, that we're facing. Uh, and as we ramp up operations also over the North Atlantic, we want to do that safely. So going back to that issue of confidence um, and we want to make sure that we're, uh, we're able to, to stay and, and, and meet all requirements uh, that are put, uh, put uh, in front of us. Um, it's a slow process internationally. Um, as we ramp up the network, we do see there is additional demand, uh, but uh, because of the various uh, travel restrictions that are out there, uh, the potential pool of customers that we have at the moment internationally is quite, uh, is, uh, is quite small. Uh, and, and quite clearly, 
uh, from a, from our point of view, there are three facets to the uh, to the restart and the recovery. One is the operational uh, restart, making sure we uh, we do that safely, that we have confidence uh, for uh, from our passengers, but also from our crews. Um, uh, secondly, the commercial uh, restart. Uh, as I said, right now uh, internationally, these restrictions are, uh, are are definitely depressing demand, um, and we're looking for ways and and, and discussing with uh, with government authorities. Um, uh, in terms of how to best navigate that uh, that uh, that particular framework, uh, and last but not least, the financial restart, in terms of uh, making sure that uh, the airlines are on a on a solid financial footing as we go into the next weeks, and we know that the uh, uh, the recovery of the airline industry will take not months but years, uh, and uh, that's one thing where we're very keen to do is to make sure that the financial structures we have in place are sound and give us the opportunity to uh, to move forward uh, in a positive way. And as passenger confidence builds and the ramp up continues to grow, uh, when do you think that uh, airlines will start seeing uh, schedules, regular schedules based on demand? Frank? Well, I think that's one of the, uh, one of the really interesting parts uh, of, uh, of the crisis and not necessarily a positive one, but very interesting. Airlines have been very good uh, in the past at forecasting demand. Um, so we have very, very uh, developed systems uh, with artificial intelligence, uh, as well as uh, other uh, areas uh, that allowed us before the crisis to, to predict with a high level of accuracy how, how demand would go forward. Uh, the crisis has basically uh, put an end to that. And, um, you know, at least in the foreseeable future, uh, a lot of our planning uh, as we move forward uh, will be very much on the basis of, uh, of, uh, of trial and error. So basically putting schedules uh, into the system uh, and hoping then that based on the various measures that are in place, building trust uh, as travel restrictions ease going forward, uh, that then demand follows uh, the offer to a certain extent. Um, so right now we are increasing services on the North Atlantic. Um, to give you an indication, in May, uh, the Lufthansa Group flew nine frequencies per week uh, in the, between the US and our home markets, uh, which is a fraction of what we've done in the past. In June, it's up to 24. In July, it'll be more than 50. And, and that ramp up will be gradual uh, and uh, will be based on estimations as we see the markets come back. Um, but I think that's the good news. Services are coming back. Uh, we also do see uh, an increase uh, demand for those flights within the given frameworks of the, uh, of the travel restrictions. Thank you. David, anything to add? Yeah, if I could add, um, as Frank said, airlines are adding capacity now. And uh, with regard to the US domestic market, based on filed schedules, July should actually be up to 50 to 60% of what was flown during the month of July, 2019. So a very significant rebound here in the US. Uh, international capacity for US airlines is coming back more slowly, up to about 20% of last year's levels. But I will add that on the Atlantic, all three of the major alliances will be adding service for July. Uh, market demand for international service will depend in large part on the pace at which different countries or jurisdictions lift restrictions on travel. So we've seen, I, I Frank uh, may have more expertise on what's going on in Europe, but I believe um, some countries, I've heard Spain is easing their restrictions. At the same time, the UK just this week implemented a new 14-day mandatory quarantine. So it's maybe not a steady uh, steady state situation. Some countries are easing restrictions while others may be imposing new restrictions. And that's obviously 
going to have a tremendous effect on the demand for travel. Yeah. And if I could add on that, what we're seeing in Europe as, as the European Commission eases travel restrictions within the EU countries, there's a direct correlation between that happening and then increased demand. So, you know, that's one, one of the uh, topics we're looking at very closely. And as we, we build, build up our European network, we see that there is, and I think that's the good news, uh, you know, there is pent up demand. People um, and, our, and, our, and our passengers and our, our customers, they, they want to travel, uh, they want to go on their, on their summer holidays, obviously whilst considering all of the requirements with social distancing and, and you know, all the things you need to do. Uh, but there is demand there and, and, and there is a direct correlation between increasing that demand with the easing of, uh, of restrictions. So that's why that topic is also extremely important uh, uh, for, the, uh, for the airline industry. Yeah, and as you see some countries uh, easing restrictions and, and others uh, uh, still adding some restrictions or, or some ebbs and flows back and forth, what are the biggest uh, things that government is doing, the different impacts that uh, different countries are having on those routes and uh, the impacts that they're having overall on, on air travel. Uh, Frank, why don't you start on this one? Okay. Anyway, when we look at the travel restrictions, there, there are basically three things that we look at. One is uh, so-called travel advisories. So, uh, you know, the, the German government yesterday reconfirmed their, their travel advisory recommending not to travel outside of the EU zone. Um, uh, um, until at least the end of August. So, so that's a, I would say the travel advisories are non-binding, uh, but still they have an impact on demand. People look at the websites and, and the State Department in the U.S. has a similar, uh, similar system in place in terms of advising U.S. citizens about, you know, how safe it is to travel at any given time. That's, that's one level. Uh, the second level is the entry restrictions, which is obviously a major point uh, where nearly all countries worldwide have a, uh, uh, have, a, have policies in place that in one way or another restrict certain nationalities from entering their country if they've spent a certain amount of time in, in different parts of the world. So um, that's the second level. And then the, the third level, which, you, which was already mentioned by David, uh, is the, the topic of, of quarantining. So, you know, um, uh, asking passengers who have come in from, uh, from certain countries then to go into e either very strict quarantine um, in government facilities, as is the case in, in China and, and other countries, or you know, um, self-quarantine where people are asked to, to provide an address where they're able to stay uh, for a per period of time um, uh, during that time. And, and, and on those three levels all have an impact on demand and, and you know, different countries have different approaches. So it becomes quite complex for the airline. And you know, we have dedicated departments in, uh, in our head offices who are working through those requirements and, and making sure that we can operate safely within that framework and obviously looking then as requirements are eased, as the travel restrictions are eased, uh, that that can then lead to, 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 to additional operations uh, and then uh, the recovery that we're looking for. On the other hand, we have to be clear, we understand completely why governments put these, uh, uh, put these uh, restrictions in place. There was clearly, um, you know, the health concerns in the various countries. So, you know, we're working with the various government authorities and, and trying to, to find a way forward, uh, considering all factors as well as risk profiles and so on. Thank you, David. Right. Well, government policy through both legislation and executive branch efforts has worked to maintain the solvency of the aviation sector during an unprecedented demand shock, while also maintaining minimum levels of service for essential travel and supporting businesses and consumers in maintaining supply chains. The U.S. government 
has rapidly implemented the CARES Act, uh, signed at the end of signing the law at the end of March, which provides $25 billion in payroll support grants for the airline industry and another $25 billion in loans and loan guarantees. Carriers taking advantage of these grants commit not to lay off any workers through September 30th and also to maintain service to most domestic points they serve prior to March 1st. We've also granted a variety of flexibilities, waivers and exemptions for the aviation industry. Uh, perhaps one of the most important is the slot waivers at congested airports. And of course there are many, most European airports are slot constrained. We don't have so many in the US, but we do have Kennedy Airport as an example. And normally an airline has to use their, a slot that they uh, hold at that airport 80% of the time, or it's subject to forfeiture and reallocation to some other carrier that's prepared to make better use of it. It's a scarce resource and the policy is designed to encourage the maximum utilization of this limited resource. Given the current circumstances, however, where uh, as Frank said, I think was it the Lufthansa Group was operating nine flights a week across the Atlantic. I think on a normal day last summer, you'd operate practically nine flights an hour across the Atlantic in the face of this unprecedented reduction in demand uh, the U.S. took the lead and was one of the first governments to say we are going to waive that 80% user-lose rule. So even if you don't use your slot 80%, use it as much as you can and you'll still be grandfathered for the next season, provided that other countries reciprocate. We were not going to make this offer unilaterally to everyone else in the world and then have our carriers suffer the forfeiture of their slots in other countries. And indeed, I don't think that's been a problem, certainly in Europe, there has been a reciprocal slot waiver. And in, I believe, most, if not all, other countries around the world, they follow the lead of the US and uh, recognize the sensibility of granting slot waivers given the unprecedented challenge that carriers are facing. Um, in addition to that, we've granted uh, waivers to allow the conversion of passenger aircraft to cargo use. So many of our carriers, and I believe some, some European carriers, maybe Frank can comment if Lufthansa Group is doing this as well, but they've taken passenger aircraft, particularly new fuel efficient aircraft like the A350, for example, and they're loading, their, they're not carrying any passengers on it, but they're leaving the seats. Sometimes they take the seats out, but that's more expensive and complicated. Often they'll just leave the seats in place and load cargo, strap it into the seats, strap it into the overhead bins and fill the belly with cargo to make up for some of the reduced belly cargo capacity that has been lost because of all the combination flights, the passenger flights that have been taken down, coupled with an unprecedented increase in demand for air cargo because all of the, the uh, medical devices, pharmaceuticals, PPE, protective equipment, and so forth that needs to be shipped to fight the pandemic. So basically demand for air cargo has never been greater, but at the same time, the world is seeing a significant drop because of all the passenger flights that have been canceled but used to carry cargo in the belly. So we've done what we can to safely facilitate the use of passenger aircraft to carry cargo. And also I mentioned uh, a moment ago about the CARES Act, which requires carriers to generally serve the points they were serving prior to March 1st. We've also granted exemptions and waivers where we have, where a carrier has been able to convince us it would not be reasonable or practicable to maintain service 
to a certain point. And so just I'll give you one example, and there are lots of different circumstances, but for example, a number of our airlines in the US operate service not to Hawaii, not only to Honolulu, which is the major city, but also direct from the West Coast to the neighbor islands, which are very rural and uh, totally tourism dependent practically. Well, we granted a waiver to pretty much anyone who asked for it to, they do not have to operate nonstop from the US mainland to Maui, Kauai, Big Island. They do need to maintain service to Honolulu. That's, that's a big city and that's a different story. But uh, we did grant waivers that would otherwise have, the CARES Act otherwise would have required them to maintain service from the West Coast to Maui, for example. We will waive that if the carrier comes forward and asks us to do so. So we've tried to be flexible in a number of ways to accommodate the unique needs that the aviation industry is facing in, uh, in light of the pandemic. And if I, if I can just add on the, on the cargo piece that uh, David mentioned, I, I think that's been one of, the, one of the very few bright lights is, uh, in, in the pandemic is the important role cargo has played, uh, air cargo, uh, in, uh, on the one hand, keeping supply chains uh, running, uh, which is vital for many, uh, many uh, countries and, and, and also states in, in, in the US but also in the transportation of, of this medical equipment, the PPE equipment and, uh, and so on. Uh, and uh, I think it, it just reflects also, uh, you know, how important, you know, this international trade via air cargo is uh, um, for, for the world economy, but also generally for, for commerce. Uh, and one thing I, I really can, can only say is uh, how, um, you know, unbureaucratic these approvals have been given by, by the DOT, by the various authorities worldwide uh, to make these changes and allow uh, cargo to be carried in the main cabin. I think that's unprecedented and, and just reflects how important, you know, this, uh, uh, this cooperation is between airlines as well as uh, the various uh, uh, government agencies. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, with DOT taking a great lead on that. So that's been a real, uh, a real uh, positive out of this crisis. With the uh, different incentives that governments are doing to uh, uh, to save many of the airlines, as well as the easing of restrictions uh, from from different countries, uh, what do you think the uh, uh, the biggest impacts uh, or the likely impacts of American carriers versus European carriers versus Asian carriers? I mean, I think each are different, uh, seeing different models on how they're going to recover out of this. Uh, what do you think the impacts will be? Uh, Frank, start with you. Yeah, thank, thank you very much. I, I think, you know, there's probably not one major carrier anywhere in the world that, that hasn't received some form of, of government support. I, you see it in the news on a more or less daily basis. Uh, David uh, also went through the, uh, the support given by, by the US government. Um, so I think generally the impact is, is similar in terms of this radical drop in, uh, in demand. Uh, I think the differences start then depending on uh, on the various structures of the markets where those carriers are uh, are uh, are active. So, you know, certain certain countries and certain markets have a stronger focus on domestic. Um, the U.S., for example, is has a very vibrant and, and strong domestic market. Uh, you might have other places if you if you look at Asia, a place like Hong Kong, there's effectively no domestic market. So, uh, the national carrier in Hong Kong is uh, is. Uh, more or less uh, um, concentrating on, on regional flights within Asia and then obviously their international network. So I think that has an influence, the, the, the structure of, uh, of the market. Um, we see also that the hub structures of, of the various carriers has an impact on how they're able to, 
to navigate the uh, uh, the the, uh, the crisis. And I think the third point um, uh, that has an impact is uh, the reliance on certain market segments that are out there. So you have certain carriers that are more reliant on the corporate segment, uh, business travelers. Um, you know, there's at least a, a feeling that that segment will come back a little bit more slowly potentially than leisure travel. So your dependency on certain segments then also has an impact on how you react, the sort of strategies you put in place um, as uh, as you move forward. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure each carrier is looking at these differences and, and how they position uh, putting their, their strategies in place that allows them then commercially going forward. Uh, and let's face it, the, the, the bottom line at the moment is, is creating uh, a cash flow, positive cash flow going forward. And as I mentioned before, uh, strategically uh, setting yourself up in a financial in a financial way that is sound and allows you then to navigate the next two or three years uh, until uh, um, the expectation is that the, uh, the the industry will need to to recover from this uh, this massive shock. So uh, that that would be my thoughts. I think in terms of it's not so much geographical. I think it it, it really depends on the uh, on the structures of the various carriers are facing in terms of their business model. Thank you, David. And I would say U.S. carriers, I think, are in a far better position to rebound from this crisis than they would have been a decade or more ago. Uh, after consolidation that they've been through, our carriers have emerged with more focused business strategies, which allow them, particularly given the strong economy of the last several years, to improve their balance sheets. In the coming months, we expect the low-cost carriers and the ultra-low-cost carriers to be especially well positioned to meet initial increases in travel demand that are expected to be driven by leisure travel in particular. Thank you. Well, gentlemen, I, I've got a number of other questions, but I can see uh, there are some uh, uh, questions coming in from some of our viewers. Uh, the first one comes from Marco Kaplima uh, from the Embassy of Estonia. He has a question about ticket prices uh, Marco, why don't you go ahead and unmute, unmute your mic and ask your question. Uh, good morning, everybody, and thank you for this discussion. Uh, I know you can't see me, but uh, hopefully you can hear me well. And as uh, was mentioned, I work with the embassy here, the Estonian embassy here in Washington, D.C., and we get a, a lot of questions. Uh, obviously, we have had a lot of questions about travel and the possibilities to get back to Europe, but uh, most of them have been solved by now or have, are in a situation where nothing could be done. Uh, but I did have a question that we also sometimes get is what is the, uh, what do you expect the impact uh, for the cost of airplane tickets either you, in domestic US or transatlantic would be in the medium uh, or short and medium term especially. And if you have insights on that, thank you. Maybe I'll take the, uh, the transatlantic part of that question. Um, Domestic U.S. is, uh, is uh, unfortunately not my, my territory, so, so to speak. Uh, it, it's a really good question, and, and I think, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no clear answer going forward. Um, um, there, there are various theories that are being discussed, and I think probably the best way to address it is, um, is uh, based on the fact that, you know, in the airline business, that there, there is, a, in, in, in like many industries, but I think also in the airline industry, there's very strong correlation between uh, a price being um, influenced very strongly by demand as well as then the, the supply side in terms of how much capacity, how quickly does capacity come, uh, come back into the market. And, and I think that still remains open. Both factors 
uh, in the equation uh, uh, remain open. There's no doubt capacity is coming back. As I mentioned, the, our ability to forecast demand going forward is, is, is severely limited uh, based on the, uh, how, how strong the crisis has impacted our business. Um, so I would say, you know, this, from what we're hearing and what we're seeing, there's everything from, um, you know, that there'll be, um, you know, great sales available and, and, and a downward uh, uh, pressure on prices potentially in the short term. I think the airlines will, will look, though, to consolidate um, uh, their, um, you know, the, 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 the flight schedule going, going forward in such a way. And as I mentioned before, in terms of creating uh, positive cash flow and, and supporting this, you know, the, the financial stability of the airlines, uh, we'll also look then for some, uh, for some way to, um, uh, to uh, uh, maintain uh, the, the supply side on such a level that it's, it's possible to, to support this financial recovery. So, you know, I think, uh, Marco, it's very difficult to answer in, uh, in with a yes or no. I think time will tell. Uh, and, uh, you know, the factors involved are, are still quite, um, uh, are still quite uh, intransparent for the time being. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll need to see how, how things develop in the next weeks as capacity starts ramping up. I would just uh, jump in and say that, um, of course, we in the U.S. government, we got out of the business of regulating pricing over 40 years ago. So it's, uh, we, we defer to the real smart people like Frank to uh, manage pricing and decide what is appropriate for the market. Uh, just a personal observation, I think one thing we saw when traffic dropped off during the initial days and weeks of the global public health emergency, I think carriers quite rightly figured out this was not a situation where uh, demand was, was disappearing because of the price or where they could stimulate demand by dropping price. People weren't traveling because there were advisories to stay at home because in our case, the Center for Disease Control had advised against all but essential travel and so forth. And so it was not a case where uh, under traditional economics, you drop the price and demand will rebound. I mean, that's there to a certain degree, but not when people were basically not traveling because of concern for their health. And now that we're coming out of that, as the airlines with the partnership of government can restore confidence in the, on the part of the traveling public that it's indeed safe once again to travel, as restrictions against travel are lifted, as travel advisories are withdrawn, then I suspect you're going to see some, some good deals. I think carriers are going to want to stimulate demand. They're going to want to get back in business. 49% of the U.S. fleet of aircraft is currently parked. That can't go on forever. There's still, those are still fixed costs that airlines are having to pay, whether the, there, there's a lease on that aircraft that needs to be paid every month or capital costs that they need to pay that's been financed and so forth. They need to get those assets back into production earning revenue and when it, conditions are such that um, pricing actions will stimulate demand, just speaking personally, not for the U.S. government, I think consumers are going to see some good deals. Um, obviously, we're doing this virtually right now, this uh, whole new work from home or doing this, uh, these roundtables on Zoom has, has changed things uh, in this new environment. Um, What's the argument for companies returning back to a model that involves uh, large-scale corporate travel? And how big a, of an impact is that going to be to the, uh, to the restart of, of, you know, getting airlines moving again, focused on demand? Frank, you want to yeah. start us off on that? Yeah, happy, happy to do that. Uh, it's, it's probably one of the most discussed questions in early airline at the moment. You know, how quickly the various segments will, will rebound, which segments might rebound more quickly. Uh, and, and there's definitely a feeling that uh, the corporate uh, sector 
uh, will be one of the uh, more slowly rebounding uh, segments that we have. Um, I think there are various reasons for that. Uh, one is uh, the economic uncertainty, which which is also driving uh, many of uh, our customers and also to, to look at their travel cost um, as, as one of the items uh, uh, coming out of the uh, out of the crisis. I think that the, 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 this issue of confidence and trust. Uh, so, uh, you know, in the travel industry, we talk a lot about duty of care of companies towards their employees when they send them on uh, on on um, on business travel. So there's, there's, there's a lot of, uh, or there's a number of factors that, uh, that will in, impact the, the demand. Generally, though, you know, and, and I'm sure many of the listeners will know this, you know, if, you, if you're out to make a deal, especially internationally, but also domestically, I guess, you know, of any, any substance, it's very difficult to do that uh, purely virtually. Uh, and, uh, you know, we feel confident that uh, there, there, there will continue to be corporate travel. There will continue to be a need. Uh, to meet your your business partners face to face, to uh, to visit uh, uh, your factories uh, that might be in a different country or in a different state, if you're looking at domestic uh, at a domestic situation, there's no doubt that the virtual uh, system that we've set up over the last weeks and months uh, will uh, um, replace some travel. Uh, but I think over time you will you will see that uh, uh, the corporate travel does uh, does come back, probably at different speeds depending on on the industry. Uh, and uh, we're convinced, uh, uh, you know, airlines are basically a driver of, of, of business, of commerce, enabling business and commerce for us internationally, uh, that, uh, that we will see a rebound. How big the rebound is, how quickly it is, I think remains, uh, remains to be seen. But, you know, let's face it, uh, large, large deals, um, uh, building relationships with, with partners uh, will require personal contact, will require meetings. And I think that will, uh, uh, will come back in, uh, in the future. And uh, I agree with everything that we just heard from Frank. Uh, the airline industry is optimistic that travel will rebound, as it always has when we've had challenges in the past. Uh, while virtual technologies support more frequent interactions, they are not a complete substitute for the personal relationships and contacts that drive business. Innovations are developed in a conference room, on a shop floor, or even over a pot or at the water cooler. Lasting partnerships are about people, about in-person interactions. That's what drives business, in my experience, in the airline industry, and that doesn't appear to be fundamentally changing. Businesses and their employees still need direct contact, and I'm confident they will find a safe, responsible way to move forward with travel. Well, we've talked a lot about uh, government and airlines. What about the other industries that have been impacted by the massive slowdown in commercial air travel? Frank? Well, I think uh, as, I, as I mentioned uh, just now, um, uh, you know, there's, I mean, the, the aviation industry is, is built around, uh, 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 you know, uh, an ecosystem of, of different, different companies and, and providers. So apart from airlines um, uh, providing uh, air transportation for, for, for people. Uh, you then have in that ecosystem, uh, ground handling agents, you have catering companies, you then have also uh, the aircraft manufacturers uh, um, and, and so on and so on. So, so there's, a, there's a whole ecosystem uh, in and around that. And um, you know, obviously that they're being impacted directly or indirectly uh, with, the, uh, uh, with the current crisis. Uh, and that, that is one of the uh, major points also in, in managing the crisis is then also uh, 
uh, talking to and, and, and coming up with good solutions with all of our partners uh, around, uh, around this ecosystem. So, you know, there's, there's, I think there's nobody that's, uh, you know, uh, completely uh, uh, avoided the crisis. Uh, and, and we find also how important it is, you know, to, to, to manage these partnerships and manage these relationships as we go forward. And, and to look for ways that, you know, not only uh, um, support us in what we're trying to do, but, but we're very dependent on these, uh, on, on, on these uh, organizations. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's why I think aviation generally, uh, in terms of partnerships, not with, with government authorities and, and the dialogue we have there, but also with all of our system partners, uh, you know, managing that uh, um, in a positive way going forward is, is one of the most important things we do. Uh, but also uh, one of the most challenging ones we, we have. So, you know, I'm not sure if I answered the question uh, 100%, um, you know, in terms of the industry view on it, uh, but it's, it's, it's an ongoing topic that will be with us for the next weeks, but also months and years. David? Yeah, well, the, I, I agree with, uh, with what was reserved from Frank. I would say the impacts are far and wide. Um, let me touch for a moment on the aerospace industry, which for one, has felt tremendous impact. This includes the two primary manufacturers, Boeing and Airbus, but also the suppliers they rely on. And the farther down the supply chain, the more challenging the slowdown has become. Industry observers and the airlines themselves expect a return to pre-COVID-19 traffic to be at least three years away. This is fundamentally changing the demand for aircraft. Tourism industry that has seen major impacts, of course. But I understand we're already seeing significant rebounds in some of the tourist destinations that are reopening, such as the U.S. Virgin Islands. And recently, the CEO of Hawaiian Air, Peter Ingram, expressed confidence Hawaii will do well once it resumes accepting visitors. I haven't been on a plane in four months, and I can't wait to start traveling again. So I'm very confident tourism will rebound once everyone is confident, discretionary travel is safe once again. Thank you. Uh, another question from our audience. We've got uh, Jonathan Gillad from uh, the Embassy of France has a question about easing travel uh, restrictions. Jonathan, if you'll unmute your microphone. Yeah, hello. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, David. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. Uh, in fact, um, uh, as you mentioned already, um, travel restrictions have a direct impact on demand, and I would be very interested to have your views on the reason for easing the travel ban in the U.S. Uh, as I can see in the media, currently there are information about a potential increase of the constraints for several types of visas, so that would not really facilitate the restart of air travel. So I would be very interested to have your views on that. Thank you. Well, perhaps I can start. Uh, there, there's certainly a process for actively assessing what travel restrictions are appropriate. Um, and by the way, good morning, Jonathan. Good to hear from you. Uh, so as you'll remember, the first travel restriction was uh, imposed against China at the end of January, because of course, at that time, China was the epicenter of the uh, pandemic. Uh, more recently, just a week or so ago, new travel restrictions were added for Brazil because the pandemic seems to be increasingly uh, a concern in that country. And on the advice of public health experts, it was decided it would not be appropriate to consider, continue to allow uh, unrestricted entry to the United States by non-US citizens coming directly
from Brazil. So, so far it's been adding travel restrictions starting with China, then Iran, then the Schengen area, then the UK and Ireland, and finally Brazil. But I can tell you there is an active process underway within the US government and it involves the equities of many agencies, Department of Transportation, Centers for Disease Control, Department of Homeland Security, and a number of others that evaluates what is appropriate, taking into account all the relevant factors within their competences. So state of the epidemic in those uh, countries, I think uh, reciprocity is a factor that uh, we, we would like to see opportunities for US carriers, for US citizens to travel to other countries if we're going to make it more uh, flexible for citizens of those country countries to enter. Um, there, there are just many factors that are taken into account and this is an ongoing process. Every week, uh, these things are examined by the interagency within the executive branch of the US government with a view to, is it appropriate to add more restrictions as we did a week or so ago for Brazil? Is it appropriate now to take down some restrictions that are currently in place with other countries? Frank, anything to add? No, I, I think you know the, the the process behind that is is, is very important, and uh, you know that's why also as an airline we're, we're looking to work very closely with the uh, with the DOT and, and and the other agencies here in the U.S., but also then in Europe with the European Commission, uh, who um, uh, you know as I mentioned before uh, has recently eased or decided to ease uh, travel travel restrictions within the EU on the 15th of June, uh, and are looking now uh, at uh, international. Uh, um, international travel restrictions or entry restrictions and uh, starting the 1st of July. So, you know, I think that's uh, uh, transparency of the process is important and, and, you know, we're working very closely with, with, the, with the agencies, with government authorities uh, uh, to understand where, where we stand and, and what the future might bring. So, you know, that's, that's all I, I would add at this time. Fabulous. Well, I don't see any more questions from audiences, so let me wrap up by saying uh, I sure appreciate uh, both of your uh, indulgence this morning and in, in, uh, working with us, uh, the Department of Transportation and Lufthansa, uh, working in coordination with the FMC to uh, really uh, open up a, a big discussion here on what's on a lot of people's minds and when we're going to get back to normalcy, when we're going to get back to air travel. And I uh, just want to thank both of you for being on this panel this morning. Thank you. Thank you very much, Congressman. Thank, thank you. you for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure.